Hello, this is Daniel Poppy, pastor at Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. We hope this message will help you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by visiting theroadfc.org and click on the giving link. Well, welcome to the season of Epiphany. Did you celebrate Epiphany yesterday in your homes, any of you? I saw one hand, good. Maybe having a king's cake, perhaps marking your door. Grace Easton provided us kind of those instructions for celebrating Epiphany. Of course, during Christmas, we joyfully celebrate the coming of the light of heaven in the birth of Christ. And yesterday, the Feast of Epiphany, this is, it brings that theme to culmination. The light of Christ made manifest to the whole world, not just to the Jews, but not just this elite insider group, but to all the world. And that's good news for us because I doubt many of us are cultural uh, Jews in, in here. The way that scripture highlights this gift of Christ coming to the whole world, to all the earth, is seen through the visitation of the exotic magi from the east. We heard that a bit in our psalm this passage this morning. But we'll hear more on them in a moment. The, the Feast of Epiphany and the season that follows it, this is what is some kind, sometimes called in the liturgical year calendar as the cycle of light. We're in the cycle of light. Do you notice that we sang songs about light this morning? Yeah. Have you noticed that little by little, the days are getting a little bit longer? Yeah. The light is getting a little bit longer. Since the solstice, last December. Each day, the light is getting a little bit longer for us here in this part of the world. When we lived in the Philippines, of course, we lived in Metro Manila, and this was a place of about 16 million people. So there were people everywhere, and there was light everywhere. Even at night, like just on the streets, you could pretty much read a book. You know, there's that much ambient light. And interestingly, you know, in a, in a third world nation, brownouts were not infrequent. So there would be times in which we were out and about at night and the city is, is dark. And it just feels so much darker when you're used to that much light. The light has come and has demonstrated to us the way of Christ. And when that light comes into the darkness, it really is an impact. So in this season of epiphany between Christmas and Lent, in mid-February, it's customary to focus on the life and the ministry of Jesus because the revelation of God with us in Jesus is what we have been waiting for. That's what we engaged in all through the season of Advent, and then we celebrated in Christ's birth, and now in the season of Epiphany, the season of light, we retell these stories. Of course, the word epiphany in a standard dictionary has a couple of meanings. The first, the capitalized epiphany, refers to this event, the event of the Magi coming and visiting the Christ child. But a secondary definition is equally important for us, I think, today. It refers to any revelation of dramatic nature that instills new spiritual insight or vision or perspective for a person or a group of people. 
That's exactly what Jesus does for us, isn't it? Instills new spiritual insight into the nature of the kingdom of heaven and how it affects our lives. Jesus shows us exactly what God is like. God's nature, God's motivations, God's priorities, God's power, and God's mercy. You remember one of my favorite quotes, if you've been around here very long, from Brian Zond. He says it like this, God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There's never been a time when God has not been like Jesus. We have not always known what God is like, but now we do. This is what Epiphany is all about. Reminding ourselves of who God is and what God does for you and for me and for all creation and how that shapes our lives here and now and forevermore. This is the epiphany that we seek in our own experience. New insights and revelations that will shape our lives. As we prepare to hear the word of the Lord, this story from Matthew chapter 2, a familiar one for us, I invite us to pray. O God, nations shall come to your lights and rulers to the brightness of your dawn. By your compelling radiance of your spirit, draw us near, reveal your truth, and teach us faithfully obedience to your holy word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We will be in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12 this morning. This will be on the screens for you, so you're welcome to follow along. Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. During the reign of King Herod, about the time, about that time, some wise men from the eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, Where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, and as was everyone in Jerusalem, he called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of the law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem, in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are now, are not least among the ruling, the ruling cities of Judah. For a ruler will come from you who will be a shepherd for my people, Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men and he learned from them the time when the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child. And when you have found him, come back to me and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. After this interview, the wise men went away and the star that they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, this morning, we're going to be asking ourselves a few questions about the Magi. We're going to be investigating who they are, where they came from, 
there's you know, few definitive answers. Scripture only tells us that they came from the East. Many scholars surmise that they were astrologers, obviously, because they were paying attention to the sky, the heavens, perhaps Zero-Asterian, probably from Persia or Babylon or perhaps Arabia. But whom these wise men represent, however, is fairly clear in Matthew's narrative. They represent the Gentiles, which is to say the nations of all the world. Remember the purpose of the book of Matthew when we were kind of going through Matthew all last year, we talked about this often, but the purpose of Matthew's gospel was very specific. He was trying to lay out a series of arguments, a series of proofs to the Jews that Christ indeed was the Messiah, the one to whom they had been waiting. But more so, Matthew is reminding the Jews that the good news of God's kingdom is good news for all humanity not reserved only for a select group of people. In other words, if the good news is not good news for everyone, it's not really that good of news. As a matter of fact, the things that the Magi do in this passage are very informative for us. They led to the epiphany that they experienced with God and the epiphany that we celebrate today. They continue to guide us in our own path towards epiphanies with heaven. The Magi follow kind of a set, a set series of stages here in, in, in enacting this epiphany and experiencing this epiphany. And this is what we're going to be looking at. We don't always have a very structured message here. Sometimes I like to be very narrative, but today we have a few, we got points we're going to follow. And if you're, if you're into that kind of thing, we have those in your worship folder, in your sermon notes. But here's what we notice of the Magi today. The Magi had prepared for their encounter. The Magi were observers of the world around them. They sought counsel and confirmation. And finally, they took action when it was clear that the Lord was doing something new. Let's look at these a little bit closer and let's see what we can learn. The Magi had been studying. They knew their history. They knew the prophecies. They hadn't merely stumbled into this momentous event. They had searched their own past and their own sacred texts. And the result of their study was a readiness, or at least a willingness, to recognize the signs of prophecy when they appeared around them. The Magi received and responded to a revelation from God through nature, through a star or a conjunction of planets, which likely reminded these scholars of the prophetic revelations that we see all throughout the, mess- the messianic prophecies of the Old Testament of Scripture. Let's look at a couple of these. The first is Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 through 3. It says, Arise, Jerusalem, Let your light shine for all to see, for the glory of the Lord rises to shine on you. Darkness, as black as the night, covers all the nations of the earth, but the glory of the Lord rises and appears over you. All nations will come to your light. Mighty kings will come to see your radiance. In Exodus, the prophet Balaam, in speaking about the coming of the Messiah, says this, I see him. But not here and now, I perceive him, but far in the distant future. A star will rise from Jacob. A scepter will emerge from Israel. 
You know, without the Magi's discipline to study and knowing the prophecies, when this star or conjunction appeared, they might not have put two and two together, but they knew the stories. They knew, the, they knew what they were looking for. Likewise, without our discipline to hear and to learn and to study and to know the story and the promises of God in our lives, we might miss our own epiphanies when things begin to align. You know, popular culture these days treats spirituality as simply a matter of attitude or a way of being in the world. And it is that, but it is so much more. It is something that we also can work at. We can also spend time studying and developing our awareness and knowledge. We can even treat the Bible scholarly to a degree, academically learning from it, spending time in reading the scripture. In many cases, popular culture even provides an excuse to avoid the disciplines demonstrated by the wise men traveling to see the epiphany that they had saw. But the likelihood of a deeper encounter, if we are to use the model offered in the gospel account, begins with motivated and devoted study. Scripture, of course, is the heart of this discipline, but really commentaries, devotional materials, study groups, prayer groups, worship services, meditative practices, disciple, life group, all of these are ways of devoting ourselves to a deeper understanding of the roots of the story of God so that when it appears before us, we can recognize it for what it is. Secondly, the Magi were observers of the world. You know, these scholarly folk, they didn't just keep their noses in the books all the time. They also were keen observers of the world around them. Without these two characteristics working hand in hand, knowing the prophecies, and then being observant of the contemporary world around them, the epiphany would have gone right by. They would have missed it if they hadn't been actually looking at the sky, would they? You know, so much of the mystery and the pageantry around these wise men would have been lost on us. You know, there is a caution that bear, burying ourselves in study and practice and isolation in order to seek revelation can cause us to become detached from the world. It can cause us to actually miss out on, on what we're attempting to experience. One must be attentive to what is going on in the immediate world local and national, cultural and familiar, earthly and heavenly. At some point, what is happening in the world will inevitably connect with what we've been learning and seeing and hearing in scripture through our devotion, through our study. And when these connections take place, that's the grounds for an epiphany. That's the grounds for us to notice and to, to really learn something, to experience something new of the kingdom. You know, it's time to move with anticipation, with cautious optimism, and with some skepticism to probe the validity of what seems to be coming and happening around us, not unlike the wise men did of old. Yes, our magi were likely studying and taking notes, yet when nature began to align with what they knew through this story, they were the first to notice. Through this encounter, they were the first to notice. 
But what did they see? Did they see a comet, a supernova? We have a slide here. Tobin put this up. If, you know, if looking for a natural cause, a conjunction between Jupiter and Saturn is most likely what they saw. We experienced this in the northern hemisphere just a couple years ago in 2020. You see there's Jupiter and Saturn coming near and then that line of, of moons actually like is pointing. It's like, looks like it's pointing towards the ground. You know, this strange occurrence happens very rarely in the night sky and it looks impressive, but you know, something like this could have been what they were experiencing. And as the conjunction of progresses, the effect gets even more dramatic. Show the next slide. So as those two planets come closer and closer together, the, the results get more and more dramatic. That, you can't see that, but that shows like from October 2nd down through December 21st, how those two come closer and closer together. This could have been what they saw. But must there be a natural cause for the star that the Magi saw? It's interesting. Medieval theologians believe that the Magi saw a bright angel, <laughs> which they mistook for a star. And that angel is the one who led them directly to the manger. So often we look for natural causes. We try to explain things scientifically. And I do believe God works through scientific means. But God also works in supernatural ways, doesn't he? Who knows? Who knows? But the point is this. The Magi teach us that not only do we need to know the story, to know the histories, to know what God has done in the world in the past, we also need to keep our ears and our eyes and our senses attuned to the world around us so that when something is happening, we can recognize how God has moved in that way in the past. Well, perhaps what God is awakening in us because of what we've been learning through Scripture. Third, the Magi sought confirmation and counsel when it appeared that the revelation for which they had awaited was finally happening. The first thing they did was they went to seek counsel to find out what others were knew, what others knew, what others were experiencing. This they moved, they put their feet into motion, they took a chance to test the signs. They sought counsel, which is the exact right instinct, although innocently, they might have chosen the actual worst person in the world to seek counsel from by going to King Herod. But how could they have known the error of their decision? They weren't Jews. They were traveling from afar, right? Sure, they knew the prophecies, and they likely knew the history of Israel and the ups and downs that it experienced through a long line of Jewish kings, some good, some not so good. But how could they have known King Herod? They were from foreign parts. They didn't know the actual conditions of Judea at the time. This was long before our sometimes unfortunate condition of having too much news available all the time, right? You know, they just knew that this was perhaps the most important moment of all of history. That God was doing something that humanity has waited for from the beginning of time. So they jumped at the moment and they sought counsel where it seemed most appropriate. For Herod was a Jewish king. I think sometimes even this is lost on me. Jer Herod was a Jewish king counted among the ranks of David and Solomon and Jeremiah, all the rest. But like many 
unrighteous kings before him. He had traded his fidelity. It was no longer with the kingdom of God. It was for the praise and the false power provided by Rome. Herod had become a puppet king put in place by the authority of the occupying Romans. His rule was only as legitimate as his ability to compromise fidelity from God and give it over to man. Herod traded the histories, the revelations, the hopes, and the promises of God's people for a scepter of gold and a palace in a minor role in an engine of war known as Rome. He traded the kingdom for an empire. And the difference is staggering. After all, one brings life and the other brings death. There's no mixing of the two. No, King Herod, he rejects the good news that the Magi bring here delivered and implements one of the most horrific genocides that we know of in human history, placing him alongside the ranks of the deceived Jewish kings like Ahab and Jezebel and all the rest. You know, the cautionary tale of Herod does not discount the instincts of the Magi to seek counsel, however. As we live, as we grow, as we disciple and as we pursue epiphany, it's very important to seek guidance along the way. The Magi, in their encounter with Herod, provided us with a twofold commentary on what can happen when we do this. It's important to seek help, yes. It's also possible, it, it is also possible that we might get bad counsel, <laughs> which we need to run through what we know to be true of the Lord, through scripture, through the life of Jesus. Nonetheless, mistakes in making our choices should not tempt us from withdrawing, from relying only upon ourselves. After all, God reminds us in this story of his faithfulness to fill in the gaps. Herod attempted to deceive the wise men, but God filled in that gap that Herod left empty. May we learn who we can trust. Lowering the volume on the voices that might not have the interests of God in mind and fleeing outright from voices that reveal themselves to be openly antagonistic towards God, towards Christ, or towards what we know to be true of the kingdom through scripture. I just happened to run across another quote by Brian Zahn. We're getting a double dip of Brian Zahn today. And if you're listening, thank you, Brian. <laughs> I doubt he is. But here's what he says. Unless the kingdom of God is in us, we cannot bring the kingdom of God into the world. And the kingdom of God within us is marked by a quiet temperament of humility, grace, and mercy. Those who trumpet the will of God with brash self-confidence usually know little about it. May we learn who we can trust lowering the volume of the voices that are outright antagonistic towards the kingdom. Finally, 
Having found confirmation of the epiphany that they sought, the Magi enacted their worship and their devotion as best they knew how. An epiphany is not something to be hidden. It is something to be shared. In fact, if one is inclined to hide an epiphany, it, as if it were something private, some private possession to be protected and guarded over, then there's reason to question whether it was a genuine epiphany at, uh, at, at all. You know, the Magi demonstrated that spiritual maturity inspires one to be generous rather than fearful or stingy. It triggers eagerness to share rather than to protect and to hoard. The wise men, again, are a model in giving the priceless treasures we read about in Scripture as part of their adoration. Of course, there is always the temptation to assume that a discovery that we've experienced, a discovery that we've made once, you know, a, a highly spiritual moment, once we experience that, that we tend to want to remain in that place. We tend to want to focus on it and, and to mark it as an achievement, to just stay there. You know, we're not quite sure what the Magi might have been thinking after they delivered their gifts. We're not given kind of an account of that evening with Mary and Joseph and, and, and the baby Jesus. After delivering their gifts and blessing Jesus' parents, I wonder if they considered how might we stay and be a part of the raising and nurturing of this Christ child, stewarding, stewarding this King, this Messiah. I wonder if Mary and Joseph had to politely ask them to leave. It's the baby's bedtime now. Thank you for coming. <laughs> I wonder if they had to have that moment. You know, the Magi camping out on the lawn of Christ would have been a completely different story altogether, wouldn't it? But in our own way, when we experience epiphanies, we try to do this. We try to just stay in that place. We allow the epiphany to be the end result rather than the living it out in others and sharing it with others. Because these epiphanies that we experience in our lives, they are rare. And when they do happen, you know, who can blame us for wanting to kind of linger in that light? But an epiphany is only as good as the outcomes it inspires. It's only as good as the outcomes it inspires in us. The Magi could have stayed, but they received their epiphany and then they received the angelic dream that encouraged them to reroute on the way home and to return their journey consistent with the way that they had lived the, their journey of faith so far, they continued to listen and were obedient and respected the revelations that they received. So they returned to their lives. They returned to their communities, their, their uh, disciples, their own students, those that they had influence over. I wonder what became of the Magi. I wonder what became of them, don't you? You ever thought about that? What did their lives look like after the epiphany? I imagine they told their story. I imagine they told their story wide and far. Later in scripture, in the New Testament, when we read in Acts and the, the Paul's letters, we hear of these missionary journeys 
going out from Jerusalem, the land of Judea, into these surrounding nations, into these nations of the east, I imagine that they found hearts open and receptive because of the stories the Magi had been telling. I imagine the Holy Spirit had fresh, fertile soil in which to grow because of the lives of the Magi. In Epiphany, like the Magi, we renew our own willingness to let the light of Christ that we've encountered to shine brightly, not only in us, but in the people around us because of the way we live our lives, because of our motivations. Jesus says it like this, we, we uncover a lamp and we put it on a stand so that all can see. We don't cover it. We want to reflect the lumin luminous beauty of God of, in Christ so that our family, our friends, our coworkers can't help but see the source that we've encountered. This requires an equal measure of compassion and courage, doesn't it? In considering how to kind of wrap up these thoughts on Epiphany and these actions of the Magi, my mind kept turning to the practical. I do kind of like the abstract and the lyrical and sometimes just leave, leave you guys to make the connections from what we experience in scripture, but a good old fashioned list is pretty nice too. It helps us sometimes. And you have a list in your, in your sermon notes. You have a list of ways in which you can enact the epiphany that you've experienced in your lives. First, we might ask the Holy Spirit for compassion and for discernment for those around us who might be longing for hope and encouragement. The hope and encouragement that we carry, there might be someone in your life who's just waiting for someone to share that with them. Second, you might look for books. You might learn, you, you might read and it, you know, books that encourage growth or expand your own thoughts and ideas in the world and the way God is working in it, your own theology. We have a great curated reading library in our Welcome Center, which is a perfect place to start. I know many of you have utilized that. You might choose a few friends or coworkers or family members to pray for during this season that they might receive the preparation of the Holy Spirit in their hearts so that as they experience life, they're open to the epiphany of God in their own lives. You might become alert to the openings in your everyday conversations where sharing your experiences of life and faith are natural and helpful to people who are experiencing disappointment or discouragement or pain or loss. Get together with people for intentional, meaningful conversations over coffee or a meal. Join a life group here at Emmaus or a Bible study in the community. Join our disciple group on Thursdays. There's so many ways in which we can put ourselves in proximity with others. Continue to invest in ways to help and to serve others through our sacrifice of resources and time and, and gifts. Of course, we do that here in many ways through our recent hosting of FFH, but there's many great ways to be involved in the community around us. Invite a neighbor to come to a social activity in your house or perhaps come to our game night on a first Friday or 
Even invite them to worship here on a Sunday morning. Finally, just simply taking the time to acknowledge someone through a phone call, through a card, through a letter. How many of you have written an actual letter and put it in the mail with a stamp on it lately? I mean, Christmas cards. So we've probably done a few of those in this season. But that's a special thing to receive a letter. The point is this. There's many ways that we can share the light of God that has been placed in our hearts with others. We let the light of Christ shine through us verbally in our conversations, but most probably predominantly visually through our actions. It's not our responsibility to generate or force outcomes. It's simply our responsibility, our privilege to share the light that Christ has placed in our hearts, freely giving what we have freely received. The late Thomas Merton provides our closing prayer for us. I think this encapsulates the heart of this message well. Let us pray. We who have seen the light of Christ are invited, indeed obliged, by the greatness of the grace that has been given to us to make known the presence of the Savior to the ends of the earth. Not only by preaching the glad tidings of his coming, but above all, by revealing him in our very lives. Every day of our mortal lives must be a manifestation of his presence in us, his divine epiphany in the world which he has created and redeemed. Amen.